You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining you on the hills of the SEC announcing the 2020 schedule, we already know who the Gators will play, and now we get the win. And joining me to uh, break all that down, it's Nick Delatore from GatorCountry.com. Nick, man, thanks for hopping on. Uh, kind of impromptu today. You reached out and uh, wanted to talk some uh, SEC, some Gators football, and uh, I was glad to have you on. Yeah, I'm just trying to sneak into the Will Salmon spot that uh, has been vacated <laughs> as he covers the uh, the 10 and 10 Milwaukee Brewers. So uh, happy to be here, and uh, yeah, certainly exciting. You know, like you said, we already had the who, and we needed the the when and where. So. Excited to see all that come to, to fruition tonight. Yeah, man. Uh, but how's it been going? I don't know. A lot of our listeners, uh, you know, we've, it's been, a, I think, a couple months since you've been on. You jumped, hopped on with Will Miles and I the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Will's uh, couldn't join us tonight. Uh, we, we weren't sure when we were trying to plan out the schedule if we could uh, – um, when the SEC was going to announce, and then as of yesterday, we're like, oh, it's going to be on Monday. So uh, hopefully we'll be, we'll be back on next week. But, uh, man, how you been doing? Of course, uh, everything's crazy uh, in, in the world of sports and just the world in general right now. But uh, how you been holding up? Yeah, I've been holding up well. Uh, I've been kind of just biting my nails and, and crossing my fingers, probably like everyone else, hoping that there would be football. And uh, it was like that one Thursday when the – or Friday when the news about the Pac-12 or Pac-12 and Big Ten came out, and I think everyone was kind of like holding their breath and stay the course. I think everyone was like rooting for the Big 12. It was like, all right, well, if the Big 12 doesn't cancel, then then we've got three out of five conferences, and, and they'll roll with three out of five. And uh, the stuff that came out today about the Big Ten, you're just wondering like, what what were they even doing? Like, the, you had a I think it was Penn State's AD came out and said, I don't even know if our presidents and chancellors voted. Yeah. Like, what do you mean you don't know if they voted? Um, and of course, Justin Fields has, you know, over a quarter million signatures on his, you know, petition to play. So I'm much happier covering a team in the SEC that had a nice, neat 30 minute show to release the schedule. And <laughs> I'm not covering, you know, change.org petitions and, and, uh, you know, a complete mutiny from coaches and players for, for uh, you know, out of the conference. Absolutely, absolutely. So hope to, I mean, I hope to see you in person sometime soon in, in, in Gainesville. We don't, we don't even know if the media will be allowed at games yet or anything. We know for sure they told us no, no media yet practices. So uh, mm-hmm. we kind of assume that anyway. But I'll tell you this: I will be in Nashville on <laughs> November twenty first. Whether or not I'm allowed to be in Vanderbilt Stadium, I'll jump on one of those like ride along. Uh, brewery things and i'll cover the game you know while drinking beer and, and pedaling up and down broadway if you want if you want to come and join me we can we can, we can go uh, live on periscope for the entire game <laughs> that would uh 
Be some good ratings there. It'd either be my best writing or my worst writing, but we figure it out. <laughs> we figure it out at some point. If Florida's playing Vanderbilt, so it's not like it would be a whole lot of probably breaking down of the game anyway. So I mean, no, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I will be in Nashville, whether or not I'm allowed to be in the press box or not. Yeah, but hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll be in the press box in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium mm-hmm. coming up, uh, coming up soon. So ho- hopefully we'll get some clarity on that. But yeah, lots to talk about. Of course, SEC schedule gets released, and uh, Dan Mullen. Talk to the media today uh, through a Zoom press conference. So we got a lot to discuss uh, on that front as well. I will throw out right now, of course, I've had some internet problems today. So if you're watching live on YouTube and all that, if it cuts out, um, sorry about that. Uh, we'll, uh, I'll get it fixed. I'm recording audio on a separate source. So I'll later upload that if whatever reason the internet uh, decides to go out again. Hopefully I'll get it fixed tomorrow. But uh, we'll... Uh, Hopefully we'll get through this about you know forty five minutes to an hour or something like that. But uh, yeah, that's lots. the best part about being a, a podcast guest. Those are <laughs> none of my issues, none of my concerns. But uh, certainly, you know, having our own podcast—that's something. As you're doing it, you're thinking, please don't go out. Give me, give me forty five clear minutes right now. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, not a lot of them go live like I do here. So a lot of people do have the luxury. If it does happen, nobody really gets to see it. You just have to yeah. redo some things, but. Uh, I'm not getting embarrassed here in the next few minutes. Hopefully not. But <laughs> but if it does, like I said, I'll re-upload it and uh, we'll have a full episode out on YouTube and all the uh, platforms, uh, podcast platforms out there. But before we get going, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You can find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. Subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching live on YouTube, hit that like button right quick. It really helps us out. And follow Gators Breakdown on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, at Gators Breakdown. So, Nick, of course, a lot to discuss. We're coming to you at about 8.15 on a Monday night, and the SEC released the full 2020 schedule around 7 p.m. And, look, we already learned at 3 o'clock that uh, the Gators are going to open up and go to Oxford and take on the Ole Miss Rebels in Lane Kiffin's first game. And, Nick, this one just kind of jumps off the page here because, of course, it, it's Lane Kiffin. It's year one mm-hmm. for him. Uh, John Ross Plumley's the quarterback there. I just don't even know if we really know what that – I mean, you can go back and look at what Lane Kiffin's done in the past, but he's got a pretty dynamic quarterback to uh, to, to team up and, and get something done. And in the first game of the season, there's going to be some unexpected unexpected uh, plays and 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 and, and the like, and and the way they run things there in Ole Miss. It's going to be a whole lot different from what I think Lane Kiffin's probably done in the past, and from mm-hmm. what Ole Miss has done in the past. And, and I, I, I'm not want to. Don't want to put too much of this in it, but it kind of reminds me when Florida went to um, 2012. 2012, yeah, went to College Station, played Johnny Menzel, and you didn't kind of really know what to expect. Plumlee's got some tape on him, and as we said, there's a lot of history out there with, with Lane Kiffin as well. But, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Yeah, same kind of deal. And, and, and I was that was one of my notes in my story about that because Florida goes back to – Kyle Field for the first time. I mean, that was when Johnny Manziel was Johnny Manziel. He wasn't Johnny Football yet or, or Johnny Heisman yet. Um, but Plumlee's kind of got some of that Johnny Football to his game. Um, he can throw the ball, but also very dangerous running the ball. Um, and like you said, who knows what their offense is going to look like. I mean, Lane Kiffin can draw up some ball plays, but it's also the point that I've kind of tried to hammer home all off seasons. That I thought Florida was in 
really advantageous position having Kyle Trask coming back as as a returning starter, having someone like Emory Jones who played a bunch and, and, and has some experience coming back. And sure, there's guys that you're going to miss and guys you've lost, but for the most part, you're returning a lot and you're returning the core of your offense and your defense, and, and you have the same system. If you look at, I mean, there's four new head coaches, and, and I think the SEC uh, – the conspiracy theories will probably be out because Florida <laughs> gets a new coach, LSU gets a new coach, Georgia gets a new coach, and Alabama all get new coaches in their in their first games. Um, so conspiracy theories go out and, and make your own assumptions there. But I think for Florida, it'll probably maybe uh, you know you bringing up that Texas A and M game. I'm thinking, okay, just play solid defense and, and score just enough points. Like you don't have to be exceptional. You don't have to probably even play your your best game to beat Ole Miss, even though it's going to be on the road. And as we talk about road games, who knows, you know, what the environment or atmosphere will even be like. If, if there's going to be any fans or just a 20% full stadium, certainly not, you know, a, a true road game in the sense of having to deal with that atmosphere. Um, so to me, it's that game will just come down to be who's – who's the most prepared. And I think if you're looking at it from that point, Florida had, you know, a two and a half year head start over Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're watching on the YouTube version there, I can uh, get creative here and there we have got the uh, whole schedule there pulled up there. Uh, nice graphic. I'm sure uh, Kevin camps was probably behind that graphic there. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, the uh, university of Florida put out the, the schedule here. And of course, as we said, open up with Ole Miss on September 26th, Week after that, there we go. Uh, South Carolina will be the first home game of the season for the Gators there. Follow that up with Texas A&M on October 10th. Uh, so two of the first three games there, Nick, are on the road against the uh, SEC West. Yeah, and for, uh, for me, I'm really excited. That's if, if we're allowed to you know, go to the games, that's two stadiums that I get to cross off. I think that'll be my 10th and 11th. Stadiums. I don't know if I'll ever get to Athens, but um, <laughs> for most of those crossing off, I I think that's uh, there were two the two games that were added. I think were great in terms of storylines. Obviously, Felipe Franks um, and him coming back to the swamp. I think that's a great storyline. But also, Kyle Trask is going to get a chance to go, you know, play a game in his home state. And I can't remember if he did or did not get in when Florida opened the season with Michigan. I don't. I, I don't think he, I think he was hurt. Yeah, I think he was hurt. Uh, so this would be, yeah. be the first time he gets to play uh, in his home state in his senior year, um, his 13th senior year, however many, how many years he's been here. Um, but then also you've got Jimbo Fisher, who's 7-1 and one against Florida. Uh, and Kevin Mons, a guy that I think I'm probably lower on him than most people, but a guy that a lot of national people will say is a dark horse, you know, Heisman candidate and, and all these things. And uh, I think that's a great game. But, yeah, that's – Certainly going to be tough, and we'll see how the the entire process of traveling works. Is mm-hmm. it are they going to fly in? Hey, if the game is at seven p.m., will Florida fly in the morning of and, and try to you know mitigate risks of flying in Thursday and staying in a hotel and and anything like that? So I think some of that stuff still remains to be seen. But starting off, you know, two thirds of your two two out of your first three games on the road. Not ideal, but, you know, I, again, I don't think Ole Miss is, is going to be a team that gives Florida a big scare. Um, I don't think South Carolina is going to be very good either. So, I mean, looking at that schedule, I think Florida rolls into College Station 2-0. Um, 
and then that's another game where I kind of like the old Miss. You're, you're going to have to hope for your defense. And uh, I'm not sure what a what A&M's, uh, what A&M's defense will look like, but I think Dan Mullen can score can score some points. Will that game be a shootout, or you know, is that a game kind of where um, you got to grit your teeth and and play really strong defense? Absolutely there. So, yeah, interesting there. Of course, two of the first three opponents on the road against Ole Miss, Texas A&M. South Carolina, you know, tricky game in there, but they get Tennessee the week before. So uh, they'll be, uh, you know, SEC East uh, versus SEC East week one for them. Uh, so they'll either be, uh, you know, that's a game that's a, probably a 50-50 pick there game there. So you're kind of looking at maybe South Carolina either coming in. It definitely been a hard-fought game either way against Tennessee uh, there. So, yeah, two of the first three on the road, and then Florida returns home against LSU on October 17th. Missouri home the next week on October 24th. So back-to-back home games for the Gators. And then, Nick, the biggest surprise – one of the bigger surprises, if not the biggest surprise on the schedule, was, uh, you know, we're, we're sitting there watching SEC Network. October 31st pops up, and there's no Florida-Georgia <laughs> on October 31st. Uh, that game is being pushed back to November 7th. Both teams will get their bye week still um, the week before they play uh, there. So October 31st is now no more. Both teams on the bye week. Game shifted to November 7th there. So, Nick, you and I basically just had a conversation this morning on Twitter uh, about the game yeah. uh, being in Jacksonville. And you know, from what I'm hearing, you know, they're, not, they're not expecting many fans at all. And there are a lot of the festivities around the game, uh, especially being moved now. They're not expecting a lot of fans in, the, in Jacksonville at this moment for that unless something drastic changes. So it's not going to be your traditional cocktail party and, and, and all that. But uh, pretty interesting that they kept the bye weeks intact for Florida and Georgia, but mm-hmm. they did push it a week. Uh, to me, the, the biggest thing for me is well, I mean, that I think the Jags host the Texans. The, yeah, you know, very next after, day, less than, less than twenty four hours, they're going to have a game there. So that definitely uh, lets me know that they're probably not expecting many fans. Yeah, uh, I mean, you're not going to have to bring. You know, it used to be a big production mm-hmm. that you, you know you've got to bring in extra seating and, and stuff like that. And I mean, I, I'm usually one of the last people to leave the stadium that night, and you walk out, and it looks like an apocalypse. Um, in the parking lot there with, you know, the stuff that gets left behind after a tailgate. Um, but to me, it's just, I'd, I'd be more worried about the playing surface if I'm the Jags and what kind of input do they have? You know, when Scott Strickland talked to us uh, about three weeks ago, he said, you know, we want it, – it's really hard to move that game just logistically working with the city and mm-hmm. uh, logistically working with another team that, you know, plays games the following day in that stadium. So I thought – Hey, we're pretty ironclad there on, on, on Halloween. And I think that adds, you know, if in a normal year, I think adding the Halloween to the cocktail party probably makes it even, you know, a little more special if you're out there tailgating for it. With a, um, with a, with, with a daughter, with a six year old daughter though, man, this couldn't have gotten any better for me. <laughs> That's true. That's true. This is a single, single kid with Nick over here thinking, oh, yeah, now we're drinking with, with costumes on before the game. This is great. Um, no, but I think, to me, I was surprised. Um, I did – I get the maintaining the bye weeks. That's kind mm-hmm. of a normal thing, and, and both schools get it. And it's kind of a fair thing for both schools that, hey, you're playing in a neutral site game. I think Georgia probably gets the short end of the stick. Um, in, in this aspect, because it's one of their home games technically considered um, that. I think one of their home games is technically that in Jackson. Like, they're not at home. And it just so happened that they were the home team, uh, you know, this year, which, you know, 
doesn't really matter who the home team is. Yeah. I think the only thing that matters when you're in Jacksonville is who calls heads or tails. Um, but I didn't think the game would be changed, you know, moved back one week. Um, but I have no problem with that. It, you know, it, it's fine. I like it. there's a, a bye week built into the schedule as well for, you know, for all 14 teams. Right. And uh, I'll go through here just a second and, and uh, look at um, – by, well, this is the only team Florida plays with a bye week before them, so that Florida mm-hmm. catches a break there. Uh, but we'll also I'll also go and look at uh, who each team plays the week before they play Florida here. So uh, after after Georgia, uh, Arkansas, and Felipe Franks come to the swamp. Uh, everybody's waiting for that storyline there. Um, Arkansas opens up with Georgia, so it'd be a few weeks before they uh, get to play Florida. And the, you know one of the bigger storylines there, Nick, and of course that one's not new. We found out Florida was going to play Arkansas last week. Uh, nothing new there, of course. Um, sets up after the Georgia game. So, you know, if win or lose versus Georgia, it's going to be an emotional battle. Uh, and you probably, uh, I think it's pretty good that the team on Arkansas, who's probably going to be pretty terrible this year yeah. <laughs> in, in Sam Pittman's first year. And, you know, not, and that's not a knock on Felipe Franks or anything like that. It's just Arkansas is not very good. Not a lot of talent around him, even if he, if, even if he goes out there and plays well. Uh, so the week after Georgia, you know, Arkansas is probably the perfect team, win or lose. You know, Florida could be coming off of a high, or they could be do, so disappointed like they were two years ago, and then get blasted by Missouri the week after the Georgia game. So Arkansas is probably the perfect team in this scenario. And just looking at that stretch, Arkansas. I mean, they get an open date, um, but then they, you know, then they're at A and M, Tennessee at Florida, LSU, and you're just thinking, all right, well, what is and, – and to start the year, they've got Georgia and Auburn in the first three weeks. So, I mean, what is, you know, health-wise, what is that Auburn – or that Arkansas team even looking like um, coming into that, you know, November 14th matchup at Florida? And hopefully Felipe's having a good year and that he's healthy because, um, you know, I know he wants to go to the NFL, so I, I hope that he has a great year and um, it'll be nice to see him back in the swamp. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I, I mean, maybe Vanderbilt, you know, or, or, or South Carolina. But, um, yeah, if you could – if, if, if you ask any Gator fan, I think pick a team to play after Georgia, I mean, Arkansas is in that short list of teams. You'd say, yeah, I'd like to have that one uh, after, after a tough Georgia game. Absolutely, absolutely. And then – uh, the, the the Nick, the ending of the season here, I think, is very intriguing for Florida. You you do, I mean, you get Arkansas and Vanderbilt after Georgia, so uh, that 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 gives you time to recoup, gives you time to. I won't necessarily say relax, but you are playing two of the worst teams in the SEC, if not the two teams, worst two teams in the SEC. So you get a couple weeks there to to heal after that Georgia game, because I'm telling you, I think you look at that next two, and no matter. I mean, Florida Georgia is going to be important, and more than likely, the winner in that game is going to go on to the East. But even if Florida beats Georgia, Nick, it's going to come down to those last two weeks. You can't sit there and drop games against Kentucky and Tennessee in the last two weeks of the season. And of course, everybody points to and look. These were these were the first two opponents on the original schedule, the first two right. SEC opponents on the original schedule, and now they get pushed to the end uh, of the schedule here. And now uh, Kentucky's going to be tough, and Tennessee's going to be better. And and, and you know, that game hasn't been close the last couple of years. Uh, for for Dan Mullen and Jeremy Pruitt, but um, you know, of course, everybody pointed to oh, the last time we played Tennessee in December, it didn't work out so well. Everybody's pointing, going back and pointing to two thousand one, uh, and, and looking at that game. But as I said, you know, it, it honestly, even if Florida beats Georgia, it's gonna it's gonna come down to the, to to that Kentucky and Tennessee in the last two games. You go one and one, you probably still have a chance if you beat Georgia. But if you lose to Georgia, 
I mean, I'm telling you, those, those, those last two weeks there could be make or break for the Gators. Yeah, I, I think I'm high on Kentucky this year. I think they're a really good team. Um, and I can't say enough, you know, good things about uh, the job Mark Stoops has done there. Um, and and who knows? I mean, Tennessee plays really well at the end of the year, which causes, you know, uh, Volnesia throughout the entire offseason. And, um, and that's when we have to hear about Tennessee being the, you know, the great team that's coming down because they won three out of their last four and won their bowl game. And, um, to me, it'll be interesting. I, th- I think that Kentucky game is, is going to be a really hard-fought game um, in Gainesville. And then mm-hmm. on the road in Knoxville, uh, and I know instantly when I saw that pop up, I had flashbacks to 2001 when the game was moved um, because of September 11th. And um, if you're an, an older Gator fan or just one that was you know alive and watching in 2001, you'll remember how that game ended and um, you know, that's not happy memories for Gator fans that kept Florida, you know, out of Atlanta that lost that at, at the end of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nick. So kind of looking at the schedule, uh, as a whole here and, and kind of breaking it up. I mean, to me, you know, it's, uh, you do have that stretch. Uh, there's three out of four games there, Texas A&M, LSU, Missouri. You do have the bye week Georgia, more than likely the season's going to be set up there. You know, if, if Florida's going to Atlanta, it's going to be based on what they do out of A&M, LSU, and Georgia. Then you can't just fall flat on your face toward the end of the season. If if you come out of that 2-1, and one, then you're, you're or 3-0, you're looking really, really good. Then you really just got to take care of business the rest of the season because you've already proven you're more than likely going to be better than Kentucky, more than likely going to be better than Tennessee. But what those two – East games do at the end there. It doesn't give Florida any chance to relax there. And we've seen it time and time again, teams that look pretty good, you know, midseason. And then, you know, Tennessee, I'm reminded of Tennessee under Butch Jones, the year they beat Florida and Georgia. What was that, 2016? And they found some way to go on some kind of weird end-of-season streak to – you know, let Florida into the into Atlanta, backdoor the way into Atlanta. You know, that, that can happen here. And, you know, for Florida, for Kentucky and, and Tennessee to be the two last thing, teams there. But to me, that, that the hardest stretch of the season right there is that three out of four of A&M, LSU, Missouri, Georgia. I guess my initial thought is, you know, I, I, looking at the, the schedule, you know, the, the graph of it, you've got it up um, on YouTube, the one that Florida put out. Um, I, I, I'm looking and I really I, – I don't fear that LSU team just because of what they've lost and you're kind of catching them early. Um, not super early, but you know, I mean, you're in the first quarter, uh, you know, you're before the, in the first half of the season at least. And then I think you beat uh, Missouri. So I'm looking at that schedule and I think, Hey, if you don't trip up on the road at A&M, you know, in, in week three, you don't have any part. There's no back-to-back road games for mm-hmm. Florida through the entire season. So I'm looking at that. And I'm like, if you don't trip up at A&M and you just kind of, handle business against an LSU team that's breaking in a lot of new players on both sides of the ball. I'm looking at a 5-0 Florida heading into Jacksonville. And and you look at Georgia's schedule. Georgia's got Auburn and Alabama. Um, so, you know, I, if Florida can go just one loss through that stretch, kind of like you just said, get through that stretch, you know, 3-1. and one. Um, one loss in in 10 going 9-1 and one might be – should be enough to get you to get you to Atlanta. Absolutely, and I, and I like what you pointed out there too. No back-to-back road games, and and, and that's big, uh, like you said, because and I've and I've said it before too. We don't know the protocols. We don't know what these teams are going to have to do to get ready to go hit the road. Uh, is it if it's a little bit closer? Do they end up taking a bus? Like do you, do they 
you know, avoid flights if they can. Uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty interesting the aspects here. I mean, not really a close road trip per se. <laughs> besides Jacksonville, yeah, yeah, right. No, so uh, and, and that's the thing. Maybe a lot of people don't know this, um, but Gainesville International Airport isn't big enough to to really have people come in and and, and or the Gainesville doesn't. Maybe it'll change this year, but. Normally, teams fly into Ocala, um, or you know, fly into Gainesville and then bus down to Ocala because there's not a hotel that can accommodate them. So, if that's you know, L- that's what LSU does, and that's what they're used to, and they play you know in Gainesville every other year. Um, are you going to do that? You're going to have you know somebody leaving the county, you know, to play a football game and, and all that kind of moving around. And that's why I said we don't know if. Teams are going to fly in the day before. If you know a team will try to bust it if they can, um, but maybe the maybe the hotel situation different since there's not going to be um, the same kind of fans coming in on every on every Saturday, and you can work something out with the hotel in town. But to me, if I'm a president or an AD of a school, I'm thinking, wait, I, we were flying into Gainesville, then we're busing them an hour and a half down. You know, it's, it's about an hour drive, but an hour and a half in a bus down to stay in a different hotel and bust back up. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. So do you start talking about, and how much more difficult is that if you're waking up Saturday morning at, at 5 a.m. to get onto a plane mm-hmm. to then fly to, you know, College Station to play in a game that day? You know, what does that do to, you know, just to your alertness and, and your body and how physically tired you are and how ready you would normally be for a game? Yeah, interesting there, interesting there. And, and well, one another aspect of this is, hey, you know, take a look at, um, you know, and, and compare and take a look at uh, the SEC and uh, they provided this graphic uh, out there too. And, of course, everybody's going to point to, Nick, uh, of course, you know, you're comparing Florida and Georgia so much this year. So what does the schedule? We know the opponents for Georgia as well, but how does it lay out? And I'll tell you what, early season for them, they got Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, four games in a row. That's a, that's a tough stretch there for Georgia. That's, that, to me, that's tougher than any stretch Florida has. Uh, and, and so we, before all this schedule stuff come out, we already said Georgia had a tougher schedule before they added the two opponents, and Florida added A&M to kind of balance it out a little bit with them having to play Auburn and Alabama. Uh, well, I think Florida catches a little bit of break here because for Georgia, I mean, you know, you, they open up with Arkansas, but, you know, Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky – and that's before the open date before Florida. So, you know, they're, they're um, you know, five out of six games there to start the season. Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, Florida. I mean, that, that's their season right there. That's Georgia's season right there. Mm-hmm. The first half of their schedule is, is, is what – we'll know what Georgia is by the time they get to Florida. Yeah, I think both teams it, – it's, it's like if, if you had a, you know, a son or a daughter playing, playing baseball and say they, both teams are starting off with T-ball – and then Florida moves into coach pitch with uh, <laughs> South Carolina and AM. And someone's just like, hey, your kid did really good in T ball. Now we're going straight into kid pitch, and he's playing two years older than he is right now. So here's Auburn, Tennessee, and <laughs> Alabama. And Florida's like, yeah, no, we'll, we'll see you on the big field later on in the year, but we're still kind of ramping up into LSU. And, and Georgia maybe gets, you know, that one breather game with Arkansas, but then right into it uh, with Auburn coming to town and then traveling to Alabama as well. Yeah, so I think you know Florida, Florida catches a break there with uh, you know just kind of comparing uh, schedules there. Uh, Nick, something I wanted to point out right here in uh, looking at uh, who Florida plays and uh, who that opponent plays 
the week before they play Florida. So week two, South Carolina, they play Tennessee the week before. Uh, so as I said, it's kind of that's going to be a knockdown dragout game. So not not a look. Honestly, besides Vanderbilt and Arkansas, maybe there's not a lot of coasting in the SEC anyway. Uh, so you know these these schedules are pretty difficult for for all the teams out there. But I think there's also like there's tiers yep. also of who the teams are, and if you get teams that are closer in the tier, like when Florida and LSU play, they're always so evenly matched. Mm-hmm. That's always going to be you know a, a knockdown kind of drag out game. Even if it's a high scoring game, there's going to be a ton of hitting. It's going to be a, you know a draining game physically and, and and emotionally. And I think Tennessee and South Carolina are very equally matched. So even though it might it might not be a great game to watch in terms of, you know, the product on the field, but I think those teams are so evenly matched that that will be a taxing game for both teams. Yep, so South Carolina could be could be could be living high or riding high uh, after uh, a Tennessee victory there or um or, or you know in desperation mode already if, if they lose uh, to Tennessee there. Week 3, Texas A&M plays Alabama the week before. So, I remember there was some crazy stat Nick out there and I and I forget the you know the numbers of it, but it was teams the week after they played Alabama. And I think there was some crazy stat. They were like two and twenty-two or something, <laughs> some crazy mm-hmm. stat like that. So you know, hopefully that kind of holds true uh, in the uh, coming coming up this year. But A and M's, you know, that hot pick uh, to to kind of the trendy pick. If it's not going to be Alabama, if it's not going to be LSU, who can win the West? And A and M's kind of pointed to as that team this year in Jimbo Fisher's third year. They get Bama the week before, so you know they get one of the West favorites, and then the very next week gets one of the East favorites in, in, in Florida. So Florida probably draws a little bit of a break there, having to play South Carolina the week before they play Texas A&M, but Texas A&M having to play Alabama. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you, if you have – if you're if I'm the Ford Gators, I want every team that I face to play Alabama the week before they play <laughs> us. Um, that's certainly, you know, that's I – mean, it's, it's, it's emotional and physical. You know, every, everybody yeah. gets up to play Alabama. So you, mm-hmm. you know, can you get up to play that way two weeks in a row? Yeah, it's tough. And I mean, sure, it's certainly it's not impossible, um, but much more difficult. You know, if that's why you get you get games that are called trap games. You know, it's like ah, oh, shoot, like Florida's got to play LSU, but they've got Vanderbilt before LSU. You know, if that were the schedule, it's like oh, well now Vanderbilt's a trap game because they're not going to be paying attention to that. It's like no, everyone, you pour everything you have into being Alabama, and you. You know, in the era of nameless faceless opponents, I don't think anyone will ever say that in a press conference when Alabama's <laughs> coming up. They're not nameless or faceless, and most of them will be playing on Sundays. So um, it's a great point when, when you when you when you point that out. You know, as much as I've said, hey, I'm worried about Flores. You know, um, road game and going to College Station. It's a long trip, and, and Jimbo Fisher and, and Kellen Mond and stuff like that. And I'm, you feel a little bit better if you're thinking, all right, well, they play Alabama the week before. That's for sure, and, and there's probably other, other, other you know fans of other teams that say that like, oh great, they play Florida the, the week before they play us, so mm-hmm. that's good. Right, moving on here, uh, LSU plays Missouri the week before, so uh, LSU catching a little bit of a break there. Missouri plays Vanderbilt the week before they play Florida. That's when week five. Uh, week six is the bye week, so that's the same as Georgia as we discussed. Both Florida and Georgia a bye week before their week seven matchup. You move to week eight. Arkansas plays Tennessee the week before they play Florida. Week nine, Vanderbilt's the opponent. They play Kentucky the week before. And then, Nick, for the second time, it happens again. Week 10, Kentucky plays Alabama the week before they play Florida. So, hey, look, we've 
we've discussed at, at, at length uh, as uh, you know Gator podcasters and writers and all that stuff. Hey, look, Kentucky has given Florida fits <laughs> for the past five, six games uh, that they've been matched up against. Uh, it's a tough physical team. Uh, that's just the way they play under Mark Stoops, and, and he's gonna, they're going to bring that to, to the swamp once again. Well, they got to go, you know, and play a tough physical game against Alabama the week before. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the game that we just said, emotionally, physically, spiritually training. You know, you'll, you'll wake up a different person after playing against Alabama. And that's a that's a big one for Florida because I think because I, I, I keep saying it and I don't think anyone's listening to me, but I keep saying I think Kentucky's a good team. Um, but when you look at their schedule, I mean, they they kind of got the short end of the stick there, too. They open up at Auburn. Um, you know, obviously play their East schedule. So they get Auburn and Alabama um, along with Mississippi State and Ole Miss um, from the West. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they look like coming out of that Alabama game. But you definitely, like I said, same thing uh, about A&M. You feel better about playing a team if they if they had to play Alabama the week before. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of Tennessee, what will Tennessee look like in, in that last game? Because, you know, they always have to play um, – Alabama, and they also have, I think, uh, who do they play? They play Vandy before, but they have Auburn two weeks before. So, you know, another SEC East team that has to play Auburn and Alabama. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, Tennessee, we, we've seen it for years, and they go on the hot streak last year, and, you know, they get Vanderbilt week before Florida, so they'll be feeling good. I mean, their end-of-season stretch there, Tennessee has their bye week, uh, Halloween, and they have one, two, three, four, five, six, Six, wait, one, two, five straight five. games. Yep, to, to end the season. Arkansas, A&M, Auburn, Vanderbilt, Florida. Three of them should be really tough games, too. Yeah, I mean, all, they got A&M, Auburn, uh, back-to-back, and then the Vanderbilt before they play Florida. So uh, they'll be licking, you know, maybe licking their wounds uh, a little and, bit. And three of those four on the road, too. Mm. And not to keep bringing it up, but, you know, three yeah. of those four on the road. And, sure, I mean, it's it's a bus trip from, from Knoxville to Nashville. Um, but you know, it's, it's still a road game and, and not your home field and not sleeping in your own bed and all that stuff. All right, Nick, uh, anything else, man, o- overall for the schedule, um, that, that, that caught your eye. Uh, I mean, um, not, not, not a lot of, you know, what, what I noticed the week one and the last week of the season are kind of duds overall in, in, in the scheme of things, not a lot of high marquee games. Uh, for the the first week and the last week, of course, something caught the eye. They tried to keep uh, rivalry week a, alive a little bit, uh, or the, the week of Thanksgiving by keeping Alabama and Auburn uh, that weekend uh, there. But um, that's you know kind of what caught my eyes the first and last weeks, not necessarily having many marquee games. Yeah, I think that you know I, I, I'm not a huge conspiracy theory guy, but I look at you know the, I think the four power teams you know were probably taken care of in the first week and then you know i didn't even really put it together and so we just went you know week by week through it and saw that florida gets you know to play a couple teams after they have to play alabama and you start to wonder like are, are they is florida getting helped out is alabama getting helped out auburn georgia are these teams getting helped out more you know because i certainly if i'm missouri or arkansas i'm looking up and being like really that's <laughs> that's our schedule um but the, really the first thing that popped out to me, and I think even before they SC announced it was going to go to, um, you know, a just a all conference schedule, I was looking at being like, shoot, if you can play it, do a 
around Robin and let all 13, mm-hmm. you know, have a 13 week schedule. And I, when I look at this and I don't see Eastern Washington and New Mexico state, I'm looking at this schedule and I'm thinking, sure, you've got some duds like a Vandy, maybe in Arkansas, but I'm looking at this and like, I'd rather watch Vandy play Arkansas than watch, yeah. you know, Alabama beat up on North Southwestern tech. <laughs> So I think it'd be, you know, even though, even though we say, you know, ah, not a great slate of games, you know, that first week. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it's football. And, and otherwise that first week, other, you know, other than some of the neutral site games, I mean, that first week would have been Eastern Washington. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. So definitely still better. It's like, I'll take Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin over Eastern Washington. Heck, Wait, yeah. I might have to turn Lane Kiffin's tweet notifications on. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. With it being the opener, he'll get a lot of chances to uh, shoot some stuff towards Florida. Nick, something I just thought of for Florida schedule, man. If you go back and look, LSU, Missouri are at home. Then you have a bye week. Georgia and Jacksonville, and then so Arkansas. Don't leave the state. For leave the state. Weeks, five weeks. Yeah, do not leave the state. You, and when you do uh, travel, you travel to Jacksonville on a bus uh, there. So yeah, I mean. That uh, sets up, you know, right in the middle of the season, Florida's not going to be traveling a whole heck of a lot. So, you know, you don't know what's going on with the pandemic. You don't know what's going to be happening with players missing time or, or anything like that. But it does help that uh, they'll be able to stay in Gainesville and kind of stay in their own little, um, you know. A little bubble in the little yeah, world there for right. a little bit. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And, and that's something that, you know, you might bring up now, and it might be somewhere where we're sitting here in November talking about how much, how much of a difference that actually makes. Um, like you just said, it's not just injuries. Cause you I mean, you're talking about an injury can happen literally in a practice, but now you're also bringing in, well, a player could be in quarantine for 14 days. And, um, you know, it, it's like Dan Mullen said to us today on his, on his press conference was that, you know, when we had only voluntary workouts and guys were kind of able to like go back home and then come back and work out a little bit versus when they had mandatory workouts and Hey, we're in a, we're in a tight schedule here. We've got our meetings, we've got this, we've got that. I think that's when, you know, they started getting less and less positive tests. And it wasn't just positive tests, but now if, you know, a wide receiver is in a group, um, you know, with eight other players in a workout group and he tests positive, well, now all seven of the guys, the other seven of the other guys are in quarantine because they were in close proximity. Um, so if you're talking about that, yeah, I think it's, it's huge. If you look at Florida not having to leave the state, um, and really not leave Gainesville other than, you know, the one bus ride to Jacksonville for, for five weeks in the middle of the year, that might turn out to be even a bigger deal than, you know, we're making it right now. And one more thing about that Georgia game, we're sitting here talking about a, a bus trip. You know, that is a further drive, of course, for Georgia. And it would, you know, we've heard that side of the fan base, you know, complain a little bit about, you know, oh, it's not – Jacksonville's not in the middle. It's a lot closer drive for, for Florida, whatever. That does make me wonder if Florida would travel day of and Georgia may have to come the night before. Uh, and, 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 you know, just because of them being uh, much further there. So, if, you know, Florida could be uh, – I do – I am interested to see how they uh, interact with that because, as we know, the fan bases are not going to be – um, that you know, there won't be a, a normal hundred thousand people descending on downtown Jacksonville. Uh, maybe you know both teams get you know there's some hotels in downtown Jacksonville uh, that you know, probably honestly if it's not a normal game and it's not a normal uh, capacity for the for for the uh, for the stadium there, both teams really could just stay in downtown and, and be at the stadium in a matter of uh, five minutes if they both come in on Friday night still. Yeah, but that that's probably a luxury, you know, that you bring up that Florida would have that Georgia wouldn't have. Yeah. 
Um, so that's, that's one thing. But then also, I mean, coaches are so such creatures of habit. And then you're like, well, do I want Georgia to be in town sleeping in a bed versus, yeah. you know, and then waking up whenever they want versus us having to wake up, you know, an extra two hours early to three hours early, probably to get, you know, make sure everyone gets on a bus and, and does all this. If I'm, if I'm damn home, I'm probably thinking, you know, Hey, put a, put a bubble around our hotel and, and we'll stay there, you know, for a have to, but yeah, that'd, that'd be interesting. Cause it's like you said, it's, uh, it probably is a close enough drive. And I mean, Florida goes home, buses home right after that game. And, you know, I see tweets from players while I'm still sitting in the press box trying to type stories and they're already back in Gainesville. And yeah. I get jealous about that, but that, that'd be something <laughs> to, to ask Dan Mullen probably the next time we talk to him. All right, Nick, uh, let me get here. Some, a couple reactions here uh, from uh, Getter, Getter's Breakdown listeners here. So uh, Scott Sweat says, uh, so ready to kick it off. Was hoping to keep Georgia a little earlier because their offense is so new, but we can win the East if we stay healthy. Uh, yep, being healthy is a part of it, especially just because, um, you know, the way they kind of – 10 SEC games here. So being healthy is going to play a big part in this with a lot more physical games that you would expect, no cupcakes. Uh, you may be playing your starters in games a whole lot longer than you normally would without the three cupcakes. Uh, on the schedule there. So um, where Georgia is on the schedule uh, still kind of matches up with where it was uh, on, on a normal schedule. So, um, yeah, it, it would have been nice maybe uh, if they were going to completely redo the schedule uh, to may- maybe have Georgia earlier uh, on, on the schedule if, you know, you're looking for that ever-elusive win versus the Bulldogs. Yeah, you got to get – if I'm Dan Mullen – I'm not Dan Mullen, but I'm – saying it year three you got to get over that hump and 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 the way that one the schedule kind of breaks down and sure this you know this year might be one that you know it has an asterisk next to it for uh the amount of teams that are playing the amount of teams that aren't playing and you know i saw some people talking about a bowl game like what about a bowl game what about the college football playoff i'm thinking let's just get to September 26th and, <laughs> and see some football on September 26th before we start worrying about that. Um, but regardless of, you know, if there's going to be an asterisk on the season or, or, you know, what people like me and the media will say after the season's done, it's year three. You got to get over that Georgia hump if, if you're Dan Mullen, especially with what you have returning versus what Georgia has returning and, and, and what they lost. You know, you, you win 10 games, 10, 11 games, but if you keep losing to Georgia, um, the fan base, I think, will start turning on you because that's not a game that that you know. I think since 1990, Florida's 21 and nine um, against Georgia, uh, and, and it was a lot worse if you think. But you know how the games have gone probably the last six years. There's a lot worse than that. Yep, time to get that one. Uh, Bull Gator says uh, every year we comment on how Tennessee's schedule was so easy at the end of the season, and that causes their Alzheimer's. There we go. Uh, this year. Florida gets to either put up or shut up. Yeah, kind of going back to our point there. Schedule sets up good for Florida uh, at the end of the year. You know, and you uh, get past that Georgia game, you still have Kentucky, Tennessee at the end, but the schedule does get easier uh, to take care of business there. Uh, Real Mark Romo says uh, they will have a good te- good test in the beginning of the season, but it levels off. Then finishes pretty easy, ending the season with Arkansas, Vandy, Kentucky, Tennessee. Easy day. Uh, Kevin Harris says A&M, LSU, Missouri, Georgia is the stretch to watch. Survive it, and we'll see you in Atlanta. 
I'm trying to get a couple more here. Uh, in Mullen We Trust, uh, says uh, at Gator Grohl. Uh, let's see. Think that we got a pretty even schedule. LSU got Kate Walks the first three weeks, so I think that helps us being their first real test. I uh, wish Arkansas and Vandy weren't so close together. Those were gimme games. Um, I kind of remember people saying that about LSU last year, though, Nick, that they didn't really play anybody before they played Florida. <laughs> they didn't really slow them down <laughs> all too much. So uh, they did play Texas, but Texas wasn't the same Texas coming off the year before. So, uh, you know, LSU hadn't played anybody. Where this is the first test. And, you know, Florida gave them all they could handle uh, there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, LSU – uh, definitely not the same team. Uh, they, they they do get a bit of an easier uh, look early on uh, here. So, yeah, before Florida, they play Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Florida. So they do get to warm up uh, before they play Florida. A lot of new pieces there uh, for LSU. So, yeah, I mean, that, that isn't a great point. They have it pretty easy till they, till they come to Gainesville. I mean, Les Miles is the – the Will Smith Fresh Prince of Bel Air GIF, where he like walks into the house and like no, no there's no furniture there, no one's there. He's kind of like hands in his pockets, looking around. You mean you mean uh, you mean Edo? You said Edo. You said- sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that is Edo. Like he walked back in. He's like, Damn. quarterback's gone, offensive line's gone, best receiver's gone, offensive coordinator's gone. Like who's left here? And they just had uh, they just had somebody declare for the draft today. Yeah, well. I mean that'll be interesting to see. Um, how that shakes out. I think there'll probably be more players and it could happen at Florida also. Mm-hmm. And um, Dan Mullen said today he wouldn't be surprised if coaches opt out. And I think, you know, we're talking about players and, and player safety. Sure. But I think if you look at like statistics and, and stuff like that, you've got some coaches who are in their seventies probably across the country. And those coaches certainly, you know, being of that age are um, in much more of a danger zone than, you know, uh, the, the physically fit, you know, 19 to 22 year old football players. So it'd be interesting to see if some coaches, um, you know, opt out of the season. That'd be, you know, and how would a team work around that? Uh, I know our message for was wondering if Greg Knox was going to opt out. I think he, he has not. Uh, no Florida <laughs> coaches have opted out, uh, you know, as far as we know right now. All right. Uh, another uh, interesting here to be the last one. JJ at Chicken Tender Pub Subs and uh, Dustin Woolbright also brings up this kind of same point here. Uh, but I'll read uh, Pub Subs. This, I got his tweet ready to go. He goes, have to go to Tennessee when Nashville and Knoxville are in the low 60s and 50s in late November and December. So at A&M before LSU. Uh, and then uh, he said, Georgia opens up with Arkansas, ends with Vandy, coupled with getting Mississippi State along with Arkansas. SEC skewing the schedule for Georgia once again. Uh, like I said, I'll kind of disagree there with skewing the Georgia schedule. I think Georgia's schedule is pretty front-loaded and pretty tough with Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, Florida all in a row uh, there. So, uh, no, nah, I don't think they skewed it too much for Georgia. Yeah, they get an easy uh, starter and an easier finale, but uh, the, the meat of their schedule, uh, pretty tough for the Bulldogs. I mean, those last three games, yeah. I mean, Nashville will be cold and, and Lexington will be cold and – or I guess Lexington's here, but um, yeah, yeah those two of the last three um, will be cold. But yeah, I mean that's just that's part of it. And you know, um, I mean, I think was it last year or th- there was one year when we were in Tallahassee for the end of the year game, and it was in the forties in, in Tallahassee. Um, I mean, it might might be in the twenties in, in Knoxville, but yeah, I think that's just part of it. And when you try to make the schedule, I think I think a big thing that probably altered Florida and Georgia's schedule was maintaining that um, that open date for both teams. Yeah, 
That was huge there. Uh, huge there. So, all right, Nick, we uh, got to speak with Dan Mullen uh, this morning uh, for the uh, fall camp um, you know, presser uh, that they that they do to kick off fall camp. And, uh, man, uh, of course, the, the big story kind of blew everybody away. And like, we, we knew that the possibility of players not being on, on the practice field um, leading up to the season was probably it was going to happen. Uh, it, every school is going to have it. Uh, it's not you know that that that's not going to be the surprise. The surprise could be who 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 you know is not on the field uh, at that point. So uh, first reported by Zach Goodall at Gators SI and wide uh, receivers Trevon Grimes, Kadarius Tony, Jacob Copeland not at Florida uh, first practice today or uh, to kick off fall camp and uh, Zach Carter as well on the defensive line. So. Now, Nick, of course, you, you hope these guys are making the right decisions there, and only they can they can make that decisions for themselves. Uh, and look, so many different factors here uh, that could play in to these guys not being on the field. Uh, none of them are are thought to be high draft NFL picks, so, so it leads me to believe you know it could be health related, uh, needing to get in for more information and answers, or or you know players' rights movements and, and all that stuff that's been going on recently as well. Uh, Trevon Grimes, you know, tweeted, "Don't believe everything you read." Uh, and look, he he considered jumping to the NFL last season, but you know he definitely needs more tape to, to improve his stock. And uh, I can seriously uh, imagine him thinking about more of the health aspects of it with him and his family. I remember his his mom uh, is a cancer survivor. Uh, she's a nurse as well, so I'm sure she's come looking at it from a different perspective than than a lot of people are. Um, so you know him, his mom getting sick was one of the main reasons he ended up in Gainesville uh, a, a, as well. So uh, you know, I'm sure health played a played a factor there. So you can see how this would weigh on his mind and, and may play a factor here. Zach Carter's dad told Zach Alberti that Carter wants to play, but he just doesn't feel safe. So he's taking the, the cautious route right now. So some players out there in college football and probably at Florida see, you know, still see serious doubt if the season even really gets played. So waiting for more concrete information, info uh, b- before they see, you know, it's out there, you know, taking, taking a risk for a season they don't even for sure is going to be played yet or not. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing um, that you said there was that it, it, it's it's on it's on every player, and there's really not a reason that I think anyone can say no, you're wrong, you should be playing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if a player doesn't feel safe for whatever reason, whether it's coronavirus, and you say, well, look at the statistics, it's not hurt. okay, well then you put the helmet on, you can you go do it. Um, and so to me, it's you know, Kyle Trask could come out. Uh, on September 25th, the day before, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I really don't feel safe. I'm like, ah, man, the timing of that doesn't, you know, it doesn't really work. It's not, not, the, not the best timing, but I don't think you'd be able to fault him for making a decision like that. Um, like you mentioned with Trayvon Grimes, his mom being so close to the situation. Um, Kadarius Tony had uh, a family member pass away uh, from coronavirus uh, related symptoms. And um, so, yeah, every player is going to be different the way that they handle it. And, um, some guys, no matter what, you know, they want to play. And, and I, I don't think I think some people took Zach's report today and said, "All right, well, they're opting out." And his report was just like, "Hey, they, they didn't go to practice today," and, yeah. and that could be for a number of reasons. It could have been, "Hey, they we got we got tested yesterday, our test results didn't come back, so we didn't want to go out there and potentially, mm-hmm. you know, get somebody sick." Or, "Hey, I'm not sure I feel safe right now. I want to take." you know, take it slow and, and see what happens, you know, give it a week. I'll sit a week out and then come back in, in week two, depending on how everything happens. And there might be a case with when students start coming back to campus in Gainesville, where there's a big outbreak, you see what happened at UNC. They've had to, you know, they opened up 
I think six days ago. And now they're moving to a complete online schedule. So uh, it'll be interesting. It's definitely something that, you know, will continue to play out, uh, I think, through the rest of, of fall camp, not just in Gainesville, but, you know, across the SEC, uh, Big 12, and the ACC. Yeah, and you just hope, you know, the, the decisions being made uh, for, for the right reasons, and if it is health-related, that they're still taking the right precautions outside of, uh, of football. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, you know, the testing comes into it, too, as, you know, Getting the results aren't too fast <laughs> right now, so they could be waiting for some results that have been taken the last couple of days or a week, or you know we'll see how that goes. Uh, but uh, you know, I, don't chastise these kids <laughs> for that. We don't know the situations, and look, this is not even a final decision. These guys could be there's they could be back on the practice field tomorrow for all we know. Uh, it could just be like you said, Nick, the, the timing of it all, and timing could be more of an issue more than anything right now, and still trying to get more information for for themselves and families, uh, and before it all plays uh, plays out. So, of course, Nick, uh, it, it really garnered headlines, and you know we'll take a look at the football aspect aspect of it here just for a second. If these guys do decide not to come back, and you know, I don't want to go that far with it, I do think I, I don't think all four of these players will not be playing uh, sometime this fall. Uh, it's, you know, whether it be just one of them or two, three, all four of them coming back, but I don't think all four of them will be sitting out. But and this is big news for the wide receiver core. If, if it holds up, Nick, you know, you still have Kyle Pitts at, at, at tight end there, but when you have players like Demarcus Weston, Trent Whittemore, Rick Wells, uh, true freshman Xavier Henderson, Jokavion Frazier's, they got to step up. Uh, and, you know, Mullen did say today, no decision has come from the NCAA for wide receivers uh, Justin Shorter and Jordan Pounty. Um, so, you know, if they if those guys we just mentioned were to opt out, the whole dynamic at wide receiver changes as far as experience goes. Yeah, I think obviously when when you look at Florida, you look at what they lost last year at wide receiver. But my whole stance all offseason has been, yeah, but you're fine. You've got Darius Tony, Trayvon Grimes, Kyle Pitts, um, you know, Jacob Copeland, the guys that you mentioned. And I'm like, yeah, you're fine with those guys. The dynamic really changes then because, you know, even though, you know, I mean, Tony only had, you know, what, 10 catches last year and and Copeland only had like 21. um, The dynamic goes from guys who have played a little bit, but have been on campus, you know, for three, four years to guys who are retro freshmen, true freshmen, you know, sophomores or, or, you know, super senior Rick Wells would be a guy, um, you know, that would, that would fit in there as well. But yeah, the dynamic of that room would completely change if those three wide receivers didn't come back. I mean, at that point, uh, you're probably just triple teaming Kyle Pitts and daring, you know, <laughs> daring Florida to throw to anybody else. Yeah, and then, look, as you said, there's not a ton of stats for those other guys, and that's mostly because of Swain, Hammond, Cleveland, Jefferson getting the reps and, and, and getting all the stats there. You know, still plenty of return if you have Grimes, Copeland, and Tony. But if not, Nick, and, and you mentioned him, you lose your, if all those guys decide to sit out, um, the ones that didn't practice today, you lose your top seven pure wide receiver from last season, and your leading wide receiver would be Rick Wells with two catches. And that, that's a scary proposition. And uh, look, there, there, there is some talent there. Uh, but as you said, you know, that, that experience, I mean, we go back and look at those seniors that they lost last year. It was, it was experience. It was leadership and not just experience. Those guys have been around the program. They were instrumental in getting a lot of the young guys to kind of come around to, to Dan Mullen and put in the work. And they didn't have a lot of success under Jim McElwain. And they had to kind of 
have a culture shock and, and come, come come along and bring the young guys along with the, the culture change that was Dan Mullen. Uh, and that's not only are you losing experience, you lose a lot of leadership with those guys. And you know, a lot of that could have been passed down to Javon Grimes and Jacob Copeland, guys who have played and been on the field. Um, but man, you know, you don't, you do not return hardly any stats whatsoever. If your wide receiver takes that big of a, your wide receiver core takes that big of a hit. I mean, that's only uh, a couple more catches than you and I combined. Uh, <laughs> we're, not, we're not on scholarship. That's, uh, that's for sure. I think Trevon Grimes is probably a guy um, vocally and then also, you know, uh, in, in his actions and in the way he carries himself is a guy that would be a leader um, for that group. And, and then obviously, like we already mentioned, just given, you know, his, his mom's situation and, and his family, probably the closest one to, um, you know, knowing or being on like the front lines of, of everything that's happening and, and seeing how it can affect people. Um, but yeah, certainly I, I, if I had it, if I had to, you know, place a bet now, I would say that, that all four of those guys would play. Cause I think what it comes down to is I think that the, what the SEC is doing and the way that SEC is handling it, um, is as best as you can handle it. And then Florida is just in such an advantageous position with the, the relationship and the proximity to UF health um, and, and the kind of testing and the kind of care that you can get right there. Um, I think all four guys, you know, if I had to put money on it today, I think all four guys, you know, I would expect them to play. Agree there. Agree there. And uh, when, um, if it stays this way, Nick, you know, another aspect is how does it change the offense? Uh, Jen on Twitter, everybody knows her as Jen, but uh, at GoGator712 says she doesn't see all three of the wide receivers opting out, but if it happened, would we expect to see Emery for his legs more? And Nick, that's a good question. It did get me thinking a bit as to how much this would change Dan Mullen's philosophy on, on offense. And last year you had that bevy of wide receivers and a quarterback that could get him the ball, and that would be absolutely decimated. Uh, we're losing all that. And we, we expect them to rely on the run game more anyway, uh, To you know, and many expect an improvement there but without Grimes Tony Copeland uh, maybe even any combination in that group it does change things so you know does the run game become even more of a focus look the run game needs to be better if the Gators are going to win the SEC and and compete for a college football uh, playoff spot but it will have to be even better if the wide receiver core gets decimated like this uh, and and maybe force you know some more Emory Jones to get in the to get the offense going especially in the run game Uh, it may be needed even more so that's not to say you know Florida doesn't have talent at wide receiver like we said but you're missing so much as far as production and experience and leadership uh, from last year that uh you look. You go back and look at Georgia last. You know all the talent that they lost at wide receiver uh, last year. But we saw their drop off. They had a lot of talent, uh, but you know losing that production from the year before really, really hurt their, um, really, really hurt their offense. And they had a run game <laughs> to go along with it. And it's still they still couldn't get it going. Now Dan Mullen and, and the, these offensive staff are, are much better offensive coaches. But you know there's some good defenses out there that that, that they'd have to figure something like this out against. Yeah, certainly. I mean, last year and probably to, you know, probably gave some people some gray hairs like here in my chin or mm-hmm. uh, pull their hair out was why do they keep trying to run the ball between the tackles. They can't do it. And, and, you know, they really went away with it, you know, probably right around that, you know, going into that Georgia game, it gotten away from even trying to run the ball. It was just, hey, well, we'll throw the ball to P. Ryan, but we're not a good running team. And, and that caused teams to, you know, end up playing more zone and, and more dime and now you're trying to fit into um, some tighter windows throwing if Florida 
is in a situation like that where it's all right, well, now they're a running team, and, and now you get teams stacking the box, and you still are trying to figure things out with the receivers. Um, does, does it help to have Emory in that situation? Maybe. I think what really would help to have Emory in is if you have a truly balanced offense, and, and when you bring him in, you're not bringing him in just to utilize his legs. I think he's shown in the very limited amount of passing we've been able to see that sure is he's not going to be the most accurate guy, but he's got a strong arm. He can make some throws. And, and I think it's just, you need to, I think when Emory came in in, in 2019, you were just tipping your hand mm-hmm. as to like what you were calling. It didn't matter if he came in for one play, two play, three plays, or if he had the entire, you know, the entire series. Uh, I think outside of maybe one game, um, you know, if Emory came in, you, pretty much knew that Florida was either running the ball, uh, that he was handing it off, or that Emory was running it. And I think you need to get away from that. So if you're saying, well, we need Emory to come in because we don't have the, we're not going to have the receivers, well, then I think you're getting into a dangerous territory of, all right, well, anytime five comes into the game, you know exactly what he's going to do, and, and you become predictable for, for you know, the defense you're lining up against. Good thoughts, good thoughts there, Nick. Last thing here. Um in regards to all that, uh, it was late in the day, but Florida sent us some video uh, of practice there and uh, quickly took a look at it. And look, in the press conference, Mullen would not shed any light on the offensive line whatsoever. So uh, that was uh, not. I don't think he mentioned a single like player name other than Felipe Franks. And he was asked <laughs> yeah. like directly about. I don't think he named a single player on his team. Yeah, you can kind of tell he was hurt a little bit uh, today. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, you know, I was asked about uh, some position groups on the, along the offensive line. He would not have uh, any of it, but Florida did send some video out uh, of practice, and it does show, does show some things uh, happening there. Now, it's only a few clips. So let's not go overboard uh, the first practice of the season, and you know we won't go too crazy over it, but. Kind of something that caught my eye and a little bit of a surprise, Ethan White at center uh, with Stuart Reese at right guard and Brett Heggie at left guard. Surprise there maybe is White at center there, Nick. Uh, it's widely thought that you know Brett Heggie would get the start at center, and if not him, not him maybe Kingsley Aguaken, uh, and that could still be the case. You know, Through the video, we have no idea what point of practice this was taken, if it had just happened to, to be in that rotation. But either way, I'm not sure I ever really thought about White playing center so much. You know, Heggie was assumed to be the guy there, and I've heard really good things about Aguaken, but you know, good for White to maybe expanding his versatility along the offensive line. Yeah, and certainly I think you, I would have pointed to Brett Heggie just as a guy who has played center and, and a guy that's been, you know, uh, I think he's a redshirt senior this year, or is he a redshirt junior? I mean, he's been he's been in Gainesville for a while, um, but yeah, I think if you can get, I mean, Heggie's really old. I mean, he's been a backup center, but has really played guard. And if you can get him just comfortable in one place, and mm-hmm. anything with him, just keep keep him healthy, keep him healthy and comfortable. Um, Stuart Reese is a guy that uh, I know he's played tackle and guard. I don't know if you really want to throw him at center. It's probably like, hey, can we get Ethan White? to play center, and then we've got these other two guys um, that are good. You're trying to get your best five, and if you have two guards who could play center, but they're better off a guard, hey, well, we know that they could play center. Let's try someone who we we aren't sure if they can yet, especially early on, and see if that works. Because if that works and he can play center, we feel better about the, the guys next to him. And then if you're talking about playing a redshirt freshman, 
at a position. Hey, now we've got a graduate senior and a senior next to him mm-hmm. to help him out on the offensive line. I think that's another issue or probably another reason why you try Ethan White there at center is because of the experience that you have next to him on either side. Yeah, I mean, Reese's experience, you know, because he was recruited by these guys, so he knows the offense. And as you said, Heggie just experienced playing guard for the last two years under Dan Mullen. So definitely a lot of experience put around Ethan White there. If that's the case, if that's the case, like I said, very limited in what we got to see uh, in, in the video there. But if something, something that caught my eye. Uh, there. So, all right, Nick, man, that'll do it uh, for this episode, man. I'm glad you, uh, you could hop on with me. Uh, what you guys got coming up at Gator Country? Josh, football stuff now. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm no longer a coronavirus reporter. I can actually start writing about <laughs> writing about football. So, um, that's fun. We'll have uh, Andrew and I will do our podcast tomorrow, so that'll be up, up for you guys on Wednesday. And uh, just, you know, sitting here and thinking, get to September it's September 26th. And, uh, I've, I've been missing sports and I've been kind of eating up everything that uh, NBA, NHL, MLB, all of it. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to college football, that's for sure. All right, that's Nick DeLatore at GatorCountry.com. You can go find all of his work there. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Nick DeLatore GC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.